0: Hello humans, welcome to The Frontline, a leadership and business podcast brought to you by Peregrine Corporate Services, an Isle of Man based fiduciary provider. My name is Martin Hall and thanks for listening. In this podcast, we chat to an array of business leaders from different sectors to learn more about them, their market, skill sets and knowledge. We hope you enjoy. Today, we're joined by Chris from Big Esports. Thanks for joining us today, Chris.
1: No problem, man. Happy to be here.
0: Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. So, uh, perhaps just to set the scene a little bit, perhaps a little bit of background to yourself, where you grew up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So,
1: so I guess judging by my accent, you can probably tell I'm from Australia. Um, And the more I do work with people international or internationally, the more I am hyper aware of my accent, (laughs) saying certain (laughs) words and such. And, you know, for me, um, I guess coming into the esports industry, I've been here for about 10 to 12 years now um, as a professional or semi-professional and started out the same way that many people did Who's who's been in the industry as long as me or longer, which is as a player. So I started off as a, a top level player in a game and you know, kind of wanted to test my skills become a bit better. Started playing in tournaments against other people, climbing through the ranks and then became a commentator as part of that too, which was on the internet radio station, obviously before internet was good enough to broadcast any kind of video whatsoever, especially in Australia. Um, Then kind of started my career off from there, got an opportunity to run a $30,000 tournament back in 2010, uh, which landed me my first professional job, full-time job in the industry in 2011. and kind of been working full-time since then uh, in the space in many different capacities and i like to say that I've sat on all kind of six sides of the fence within esports. So I've done um, six years in PR marketing for two different consumer product companies. I've done about a year and a half as a journalist. Um, And then in between all of those, I was a manager of one of Australia's first professional esports players, probably in the first 10, I would say, um, who's now a famous commentator and, and streamer and content creator. I've um, you know ran events I've been the sponsor of events I've been the player uh, managed a few teams uh, helped to found an esports association a few years back Um, you know was a semi-professional player in Counter-Strike which was the last game that I played in a in a top four top six team in Australia depending on who you ask is is what answer you get for the ranking Um, and yeah ended up going out on my own in in 2018 to to launch business in games which reformed as big esports where we sit today so we're in partnership with Australia's largest app and games development studio called Playside, um and they do a lot of uh casual games for mobile and also vr for for vr for pc and ar for mobile so for example one of their latest projects the jumanji movie that just came out if you've got an apple you go on the app store there's a game they made that they made that Mm -hmm. game Uh, they've got a bunch of influencer apps as well which are their own sort of ip um, so they've got a female focused fitness app that's doing very well in australia at the moment a meditation app and a few others as well so we're in partnership with them and a, and a poker player and some other private partners too
0: and uh, loads to dig in which i'll go back to in a moment just i've not come across the an influencer app what's it what's what what we consider an influencer app?
1: so it's it's not so much that the app is an influencer or such but it's more so it's influencer-led Because an influencer is a brand in themselves. And I guess a really easy mainstream example is Chris Hemsworth has his own fitness app. He's known as being, you know, someone who's extremely muscular on screen and obviously knows how to work out. So he's turned that into a business and he's launched his own app, which is kind of, you know, get a body like me. I'll teach you how to, how to be fit. Um, yeah, and these yeah, two yeah. girls, for example. One has a has a background in kind of nutrition, et cetera. And the other girl, she has a background in in modeling and was, as well as some very fitness focused content. They've both got, you know, together somewhere between one and a half, two million plus followers on um on instagram between them so you know they, they are their own marketing so it's a major yeah. advantage if you're an influencer if you're launching a brand especially if you care a lot about it they're very they're very very genuine they're very helpful you can tell by their content they care it's not just a cash in it's not yeah. just a you know showing off this watch because i've been paid to they really live the whole thing you know they work out every day they're always on instagram talking about being healthy and looking after each other and that kind of stuff too
0: yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so to go back to those early days of, of gaming, obviously it was just, I, I guess, as a, as a child, just something you did. Was there a point where obviously you can probably a little bit well. It certainly was a bit before my time online gaming. Uh, that 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 point where it was you'd obviously play against other people that you felt you were good, and there was opportunities to maybe not use the word make a career of it, but stop you know, perhaps making, I guess, winning tournaments or playing in tournaments to win games. What age is that? And what what kind of thought process is that? And are your parents going, Chris, come on, do schoolwork? Because you hear that a lot. I don't know. Was that going on?
1: Yeah, a little bit. And look, I mean, it was more realistic in those days, especially because, you know, there wasn't an opportunity to play games at a professional level where you receive, you know, significant income or anything like that, right? Um, whereas, you know, there there more is these days and there wasn't a pathway. And I mean, it's still esports as a whole is still quite underground, you mm-hmm. know, when you compare it to the mainstream market. Yes, there are outliers, you know, who are earning, you know, some good money to play games, but it's still not the same as, you know, the average, what is it, the NFL entry level um wage is somewhere like a three hundred thousand dollar, you know, mm-hmm. kind of wage with or at least a three hundred thousand dollar contract when you draft to be a starting pick. It's still not like that in most of esports, but you're definitely right. You know, it's a lot of you're never going to get anything out of playing games. It's just a hobby. You don't spend all your time on it. Obviously, games are very exciting. They can suck you in a lot too. But, you know, even fitting today to where there is a, there is a definite possibility for kids coming up today to have a career out of it, it's still always important to have that balance, you know. Even if you're a massive fan of, of football or soccer, as we call it in Australia, you can't spend 24-7 on that. You need to do a bit of school because if nothing else, you need to know how to do your taxes and things like that too so yeah
0: you you mentioned all the other bits from the the six sides that you've done i guess ultimately that education didn't suffer for you as part of that through that through those teenage years
1: it did definitely i think in year 11 for me um i think year 11 a lot just being a lazy teenager (laughs) doesn't help as well you've got something exciting Yeah. yeah exactly and you know i really picked up my game in year 12 but i did i did fine in school um You know, and and there are some things that games definitely help out with, which is, you know, the ICT and computer side of things, you know, all of, all of that, that I did. And then I went into doing an IT traineeship before I professionally worked in the industry that, you know, all of that knowledge of knowing where to tinker and knowing where to find things, you know, that, that came quite easily to me and, you know, was able to, thankfully the state I was in the last two years of your school in year 11 and 12 work fairly similar to university. There's only one mandatory subject, which is a half period in year 11, which is just helping you with resume writing and things like that. But besides that, you literally get to pick to do whatever you want. Mm. So, you know, for me, I was quite driven. I wanted to go into the Air Force, potentially, or become a psychologist. So I did the Mass English Science in year 11. Um, and then with sport as kind of, they call it a blood subject or a fun subject, something that you enjoy. And right. then in year 12 for me, I did, um, you know, a little bit more drilling down. I did some physics, which I moved out of, um, but, I, you know, I did ICT advanced into computer aided design and, and things like that too. But, you know, you're definitely right that um, it's, it's important. You know, it's important yeah. to focus on schoolwork and, and a pro player that I used to sponsor you know, I, I was doing a talk back in 2012 or so to a lot to 400 high school children. Who had a week long kind of boot camp. They call it computer games boot camp. They come and they learn about how to work in games, or how to be a pro esports player, or how to be a voiceover artist, or how to make games or market them. And people will talk from all of these different regions and sections. And you know, he didn't want to speak because it was his personal opinion that, hey, finish your schooling first and also do a university degree first. And I think that was relevant, especially for him in that day, because when he was a professional player, you know, our sponsorship of him really was just some money to help them get the tournaments. He wasn't making a salary, but thankfully for him, he finished his electrical engineering degree, you know, became a pro gamer for a few years and now he's in a nice paying job over in New Zealand. But nowadays there's so many more opportunities and it's because content creators are influencers. You know, they're creating, or sorry, gamers are content creators and influencers, you know, because everything's digital native, everything's digital first. If you're starting to get some traction, even if you're not in the highest leagues, you'll have some sort of social following that you can monetize. Often you'll be making your own content. Maybe you'll pick up your own personal sponsorships and such. And this is something that, you know, there are so many things that esports can learn from the traditional sports industry, but this is something that I think traditional sports can learn from esports and gaming. Because if you're not a UFC fighter who's in the top 10 in your division, if you're not an NFL player who was a collegiate kind of star into a major team, no one really knows who the 49th pick on the starting roster of a certain you know, football team is. And I don't mean nobody. Obviously, their fans do because they're hardcore. But outside of that, people don't know. But in gaming, because the audience is so wide and because you can set yourself apart, so much so much easier through your own personal or personality and also your personal play even if you're not the best player you can start to grow a significant following and you know i guess that really brings me into just like a really quick explanation um, is the difference between gaming and
0: esports. yeah please. I was gonna,
1: so, please. Yeah, so esports is it's, it's kind of like the difference between um a leisure activity with your friends and a sport so if you're just kicking a football with your friends down at the beach that's not a sport there's um, that's just a leisure activity. You're having a bit of fun, but if you were like me and in the past, I played Wednesday night, mixed volleyball. Um, you know, I was like 21. I was playing with a bunch of 30, 40 year olds, having some fun, some fun every Wednesday. That was sport because we had jerseys. We paid $5 entry fee to play. There was a ladder. We were trying to win. And you know, the first place prize, there was no cash. All you would get is a little trophy. You know, there's no real bragging rights. And it was B, B grade, C grade, but, It's sport because it's a structured competitive nature of play. So if you think about the leisure activity of kicking a football, that's just like playing Candy Crush on your mobile, like your son, daughter or cousin or nephew or niece playing um, Fortnite on the iPad or Minecraft, or these kind of casual, very, you know, very popular games. That's not esports because you're just having a bit of fun. You're just playing around. It becomes esports when there's that structured, competitive nature of play. So even if you're paying a $5 entry fee to just play in a local high school tournament, of which there are many around the world, you know, that's definitely part of it. Or whether you're, um, you know, paying a massive entry fee or no entry fee at all and you're trying to win a million dollars. You know, that becomes eSports. The same as sport is anything from, you know, your local footy leagues we have in Australia with, with their ladders and you're hoping yeah. to get drafted into the professional league and earn a salary. They're the two major differences. But there's, you know, I don't want to get hung up too much on that but you know there's so much crossover between what is esports what is sport and some people argue that till the cows come home but usually yeah. it's an important distinction because esports is part of the gaming market it's growing extremely fast it's something like a 32 percent annual growth rate i believe pwc claimed it is in australia Uh, i believe that was in their 2018 or 2019 report you know it's growing massively year on year globally according to new zoo reports and if anyone wants esports data new zoo which is new then zoo where animals are is is a fantastic free resource and and they've got paid options as well it's growing very fast but still esports as a whole is a 1 to 1.1 billion dollar industry gaming in australia is larger than that just in australia gaming globally and I won't get this number perfect, but it's something like 153.2 to 153.7 billion. And these are obviously in USD. But gaming is just encompasses so much more than esports. The same way that, you know, NFL only encompasses one part of sports. You know, you couldn't say the NFL is sports, but it's, it's one part of it. Um, You know, there's people who make the stadiums. There's people who do the food and beverages. There's people that make the sticks that go inside the lollipops that are sold at the stadiums. You know, they're all part of that, that wider ecosystem. There's people that produce the jerseys and the boots and the, and the leather for the footballs and, and things like that too, that are all part of the industry. So it's just important to understand those two different ones. And there's not, it's not, doesn't have to always be about esports the same way. It doesn't always have to be about the Super Bowl. There's so much opportunity in NFL in collegiate, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people going to collegiate games. There's tons of kids playing in little leagues. There's, there's so much more than just the pinnacle of esports.
0: So when, when you, I mean, just, just to help with the distinction earlier, you mentioned there about, your, you know, your, your niece getting on Fortnite and playing Fortnite, if she was in a competition with others for a, for a, 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 you know, for a prize, would you, would, would you see that as a, as an esport element? Cause there's a bounty there in essence to win.
1: Yeah, there definitely could be, and and that's where, you know, that that's where it's always like, you know, what do they call it? Tomato, tomato. It's yeah, it's always yeah. like, you know, <laughs> when when does it become esports? When is it not? And you know, some people use esports as a as the buzzword and the marketing ploy, but they really mean gaming, and it, yeah, it can yeah. get really confusing. But just understanding that basic distinction, I guess, when you're thinking about it, like, um, you know, is a um, for example, PlaySide Studios, who who we work with, you know, is their game. Um, is, is what they do esports or is it gaming? Well, it's generally gaming because they're making casual, you know, hyper casual, fun type games where you're just playing on your mobile and you're tapping along and you're earning points and you're having a great time. There might even be a leaderboard in there, but it's not necessarily esports because you're yeah. not competing for a prize pool or, or something like that against someone else.
0: Yeah. And certainly, certainly through lockdown, where obviously. Certainly, sports stopped pretty much globally. Traditional sport, we'll call it. Esports, uh, I know certainly was on. You know, it'd be on TV, streamed on t- TV, and I'd imagine that was another step in its profile. Uh, and I guess you you see that. I would like to think you've you've seen a continued uptick in interest in it. Uh, probably based purely, you know, on the fact we're having this conversation. Uh, that, uh, that 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 that. It's been, a, I say, not a good thing for COVID, but the fact that people have been at home, uh, realising that there's more to it than just, you know, as perhaps people think, just some spotty kid sat in his chair at home playing the game.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, coronavirus has given the opportunity for esports to prove what it can be. We've seen so many, like, traditional esports get into it in different levels. Like, one of the most advanced, I think, is here in Australia, which is the supercars that we have here. And they did a few rounds where literally every single one of their real life drivers played in the esports component. And then they threw in a few extras. I believe it was Lando Norris from F1 that played in it. And then, you know, as far as Formula One goes, we had not the Oz GP because the Oz GP was, I believe, the first major sporting event to be cancelled because of coronavirus. It got cancelled two or three hours before it was meant to kick off in the morning um, for the pre, the kind of pre shows. Um, and you know, we saw that we saw the MotoGP come into esports. Um, we've seen NASCAR do a few things in there as well, mm-hmm. and especially motor racing, getting very hardcore into it. So, you know, obviously it's not all. It's not all sunshine and rainbows in esports because once again that that wider ecosystem, like I said, you know, there's venue managers, there's people that do booking and tourism, there's people that do, um, you know, live event management, uh, there's people that rely on that kind of touring revenue and and ticketing revenue to be part of part of their total income. So there has been a lot of eyeballs on on esports as a whole and the really interesting thing for me is is seeing okay will that stay around when traditional sports go back because the hardest thing is that traditional sports did it as a way to to maintain contact with their audience Mm -hmm. did it as a way to fulfill sponsor obligations in some in some cases as well like you saw with f1 not the bahrain had literally every single f1 sponsor Um, the supercars broadcast had all the same sponsors the same commentators and even the same camera angles so if you um, weren't Knowing that it was a video game, you could have actually thought it was real because the graphics are quite quite decent. But the question is, yeah, will that stay around? The thing that has really kicked up significantly is gaming and influencers um, and media and people who produce content specifically that has ticked up massively. There's a lot of um, esports or and gaming news websites out there, like Press Start Australia, which is a news website. I think they I think they reported um a two to three hundred percent growth in readership over that period of time and those articles are public if someone like to fact check those numbers Um, there's also dot esports which is a global esports news publication they also received two to three hundred percent increase which was posted by ria chikani who's the founder and and ceo of dot esports or or the founder of the the holding group that owns them and some other properties you know a lot of influences that we work with have seen anywhere you know, from from a hundred to five hundred percent growth in their viewership, um, and also a lot of interest from brands sponsoring directly. So, a few ways that these influencers often make their their money and their revenue coming through is, a, a lot of them will make money from um, ads that are served. You know, if you watch a YouTube video, a lot of the time people love to hit that skip ad. <laughs> well, the the person who created that video is earning a percentage of that money that's coming through along with YouTube earning that. That's like inherent ad revenue. The other way that they often make a lot of their money um, is through products sponsorships. So whether they're, you know, doing their own ad role inside their video, whether they're showing off a product. What we've seen is the first of that, which is the, say the Google ads and the self-serving ads, the revenue for that is down 30 to 50%. And that's across Google ads on these news websites and also on these YouTube videos and, and Twitch streams. But, you know, some of my friends who are, who are running agencies, they've seen a 500% increase in their creators earning money directly from brands. Right. Um, and that's been a really interesting thing. One of our clients who spends, um, you know, tens of thousands of dollars per month on Facebook ads. As soon as coronavirus started to shut everything down, they instantly canceled all of their Facebook ads. But at the same time, we're seeing so much more interest from people saying specifically to us because of coronavirus and the opportunities created, we want to spend extra money um, on influencers directly. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's a shift that you'll see in the long term, but you know, it's been really interesting. We haven't seen a 500% jump in uh, money coming through for influencers through us, but we've definitely seen a jump. And that jump has been, you know, in their words, directly correlated due to coronavirus. But at the same time, we've seen some people ease off. Their, their sponsorship because of coronavirus. But yeah. as, a, as a net, it, it's definitely positive. Um, and, you know, it's it's uh, slightly positive, I guess, for the creators because their ad revenue or their CPM, as they call it, is down a little bit, but their direct uh, ads, you know, from their brands is is up quite a bit.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess, I mean, influencers in, in themselves, I mean, I presume they ultimately start as a game player and then it's, it's adding those, you mentioned revenue streams on there. But they come in many, many formats. Then do they? Uh, and I presume that that industry of where they're coming from. You mentioned there that maybe there's a there's a slight movement now from say Google Ads or uh, or, or YouTube YouTube pay away. That's probably not quite the right term. What other ways do they do they try and seek revenue? Or what ways yeah. are they? Probably a, bit, probably a better question.
1: Yeah, sure. And and I think for, for me too, what I'll do here is I'll highlight some of the numbers. And these are the numbers that I've talked to people like KPMG about. And I love to talk about, you know, a lot of your audience who are the, the more traditional side of business to put into to put into words why this um, industry needs to be taken more seriously and purely just through the dollars, through the revenue. So I've got a friend, for example, and I'll, I'll, I'll break down his revenue sources. So I've got a friend who turned 22 last week or the week before. And we talked every, almost every day. He lives with his family. He helps to look after his little brother. Um, He's been creating content on YouTube for about five or six years, but he had a period of time where he took a break for about six or so months um, in the first year or two for that. But he's been very consistent. He makes somewhere between four to six videos per week. And now he's just opened up a second YouTube channel. So he's got two YouTube channels he operates off. His main YouTube channel has nearing on 2 million subscribers as a whole. Um, His second channel has 60 to 80,000. His second channel, um, he's about to receive a 6,000 USD payday for purely that CPM side of YouTube for one month. 6,000 USD. His overheads are basically zero. So he edits all of his own videos. He records his own videos. Um, He has a manager, but the manager only takes a percentage commission on deals that the manager brings to them or brings to him. Sorry. Um, And, and that's it. So that's, that's one smaller line of revenue. Um, Him as a whole is looking to make uh, in USD around five to $800,000 this year after direct costs. And I taught him how to write an invoice two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> he only has a bookkeeper, not a full accountant. Um, you know, I've tried to help him out a little bit with some, um, with some other contacts because I don't think he understands tax mitigation properly. Cause he was complaining about his tax bracket. And right. I was like, what do you mean tax bracket? You're not an employee. You're earning money as a business. And he went, I don't know, <laughs> um, you know, we've worked with him. Um, for example, you know, your main running costs, if you, if you're, you know, a business, maybe your rent. He doesn't have any. He mm. lives with his. He lives with his dad, and he supports him, and he looks after his brother. Um, he gave his dad a few thousand dollars for his dad's birthday. So it's opposite land in his house. Um, you know, he he helps out his family a lot, looks after his brother. He drives a reasonable car. He's saving to buy a house, um, and you know he's going to earn five to eight hundred k this year in mm. you know cash in cash in hand uh, before tax and. That's without any, you know, proper tax mitigation policies and that's yeah. without knowing how to write an invoice. And primarily this is literally from the CPM from YouTube. And this is from brands emailing him saying, Hey mate, you know, I'd like you to show off this products. Would you like to show off this app? Would you like to show off this um, computer? So yeah. we worked with him, for example, to um, help to work with the brands. We, we helped him with a $5,000 top-of-the-line gaming computer that was custom modified that he showed off in a few uh, videos. And we paid him for a few dedicated videos on his channel as well. Right. So that's some other ways that he might make money directly from sponsors. So, you know, this is going to show that, it's, it's only one case, not everyone's going to earn that much, but in this industry, it's possible for someone with literally zero business experience with a hardcore audience and, and a niche, you know, kind of product to make five to $800,000 revenue without seriously knowing what they're doing. And there's no way that someone can just go, you know, I'm going to go and start a dry cleaning business and all of a sudden wake up, you know, yeah. in two years and you have $800,000 in revenue without knowing how to do your taxes or, or have a business yeah. or anything like that at all, but yeah. it's definitely possible on YouTube. And there's so many, you know, so many people that are doing this and these are the people that are making a lot of the money in the gaming space. There's two people, you know, one are the companies that own these video games, like the EA's and Ubisoft's and activisions. And they're all, you know, a lot of these are public listed companies so you can look up what their earnings are. And the other one are people who own the content, the influencers, because if you think about it, some other numbers for you, there's an influencer in Australia called laser beam. He has somewhere around 13 to 14 million YouTube subscribers. Um, he and that's not including TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, etc. He gets somewhere throughout the coronavirus period around 250 to 270 million video views per month purely on YouTube, not including right. Instagram, not including Twitch, not including anything else. You know, someone like him, uh, if he is a relative size of a Twitch streamer, which is live streaming, you've got some of these guys on on Twitch, like uh, Tofui, like Dr. Disrespect, um, like Tim the Tap Man, like Nick Merckx, some, um, for example there if someone wants to pause and look these people up they're easy very easy to google these kind of guys are making about 1.2 million dollars per year purely on paid subscriptions from fans Mm -hmm. fans who pay for extra access to them just to be closer to them just to prove that they're fans that's not including cpm that's not including direct sponsorship that's not including purchase content that's not including um, you know any other sort of donations directly which they may receive as well that's purely off just one one line of revenue now obviously once again these are the top you know, 10, 15, yeah. 20. But this other case I talked to, who's got 1.7 to 2 million subscribers. There are hundreds, literally hundreds of channels like that around the world with 1.7 to 2 million subscribers who are earning similar money.
0: And, and the content they're pushing out varies. I assume like on Twitch, they're perhaps live streaming that their game, the content videos, that might be if they're, if they're well known for playing X game, they might be given their followers tips ideas, that type of thing. And then product placement comes into that process. Then uh, when you talk about the-, mm. The-, mm. And the,
1: and the best is natural, right? Like I gave that, that example before of, of the, of the two women who have the, the fitness app. You know, that is their whole life. Their whole, yeah. lap, their whole life is giving people fitness advice and, you know, telling people, look after yourself and you're okay with your body and who you are and et cetera. So they're like, well, let's turn this into a business. So like a, a direct and easy example of this is FaZe Clan, F-A-Z-E clan. Um, they Their tagline is the largest or most popular esports organization in the world. They have, um, just hit 1 billion total video views on their YouTube in 11 years. Well, they've just over, they've just hit over 10 years old. They had the 10 year anniversary. They sold a million dollars worth of champion as in the the hoodie apparel company. They sold a million dollars worth of champion merchandise in the first few hours of their drop and you know, somewhere around 2 million, I believe for the whole period of sale for one day within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, And because Faze are, you know, they have a very hardcore audience. They've been around for 10 years, but people have seen them grow up literally from being 16, 15 year olds playing, you know, a lot of these guys are even 23 now. So when they started, they were 13, 14 years old, but hyper passionate about games. But as they grew up and as streetwear became popular and as rap culture became much more popular in the mainstream, you know, they... um, They took ownership of that and merchandising seems to be a a fantastic line of revenue for those kind of guys. Every time they release these kind of products, they're instantly sold out. So you see like, you know, when these creators start to make their own businesses and and push things that they are truly passionate about, the sales can come through. I mean, another example for you is is I know um, three influencers each who released a little figurine type product at $29.99 USD uh, with free global shipping. It was the figurine is kind of a caricature of themselves. So it looks like them, but with a bigger head. Um, and they sold 45,000 of those units in two weeks at around $1.3 million revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another example of, of an influencer I know who's got 200,000 Instagram followers, he releases limited merchandise. So every few weeks or a month, he might release a, a custom um, designed hoodie in a few different styles and a few different colors, never to be purchased again. Does that style will never be made again? Endorsed by him, but that's a million dollar business for him. Yeah. Um, you know, making seven figures a year, you know, selling those hoodies, um, only in that, in that kind of period.
0: It's, it's really fascinating because I guess as well, a, a lot of, or most of them, their, their followers and their fans it's pretty much organic growth. So then mm-hmm. they, they, through that they've obviously got so many eyeballs on them and you look back at traditional ways of trying to get eyeballs on you, which, which Typically would be marketing and, and, a, and an expense where you can do this do this organically, obviously through skills of of putting out content, playing the games, etc. but it's just uh, it's fascinating and uh, a real shift, and I guess the internet's part of that generally, which makes me sound really old, but the, that, that shift that you can create mm. you can create your own uh, yeah your own uh voice and channel, so uh, so yeah, yeah that, uh, exactly. Yeah,
1: and you see, there's there's always examples of um, there's articles all the time. You know, influencers are dead. No one chooses influencers anymore, etc. And you know, there are examples of good influencers and bad influences. The same reason there's examples of great movies and terrible movies, or very niche movies. You know, there's there's people to follow for everyone. But you know, it's the fact of just picking the right ones to work with, which is why I try to focus so heavily on these case studies. Which is why I've got. You know when we work with some clients i've got 20 case studies i can kind of bring up off the top of my head to explain like you know these are the people that we know have had sales success because they've got a genuine connection with their fans there are obviously examples of influencers who are massive on instagram and they're followed for reasons maybe it's drama maybe it's they're popular because they're popular and they and it very well put by clinton sparks who's a man we do some business with and he's the head of business development at phase clan um, a previous dj um, and producer a lot of context to rappers and and movie stars etc and a thing that i like that he says is you've got people who are popular and you've got people who are influential and this is a reason why for example a lot of movie stars don't receive influencer type endorsements because chris hemsworth has as many 55-year-old mother followers for the way he looks, he's quite attractive, the same way that he has 14-year-old boys following him because he plays a Marvel character, which is nerdy and cool, the same way he might have a 25-year-old male follow him because a 25-year-old male has been watching him as a, as a, as a nerd, you know, speaking as a nerd myself throughout, you know, the whole period of time as he started all of these and all of these different Marvel type movies as well. Mm -hmm. So that audience then becomes too broad. You can't be very specific. Whereas we've got some creators who earn, you know, that we work with that earn significant amounts of revenue, but because they have a very niche audience they have a complete control of. Like if you've got a very Australian audience, or let's say you've got, um, you know, you've got a, a very uh, mother type audience, you know, you've, you've had a few kids and you're creating vlogs on that. And you're And you're telling people, you know, what to expect when you have your first pregnancy and how to dress your baby and things like that. Well, that's hyper relatable to someone because they're like, oh, I'm going through that. I'm going to watch you to learn and then I'm going to have a connection with you. And then if per chance they release their own baby formula or something like that, there's a potential, you know, quite a large possibility you're going to purchase that because you're like, well, this person has helped me so much.
0: they have provided me with
1: entertainment and they've provided me with value. So the product they're pushing, they believe in that. So I believe in that too. And then it comes through.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so to pivot a little bit, just again for for a bit of education on my side, when we talk about Mm esports and and one-on-one games, we talk about and when we chat previously, we talked about uh, I call it team esports or people buying. And I think again, I I use a perhaps in well name. Obviously, more people will know where. I think I think Beckham's just recently bought an esports team. What does that What does that mean? What does that is that a Group of people that just play esports w- within a within a team is that, and they play <laughs> other teams. Is that how? Can you maybe just give us the basics? Mm-hmm.
1: So, what do, why do I would classify as a traditional esports team. Um, and then for anyone listening, can can write down some of these names of people like Team Liquid from U, from the United States, Cloud9, who according to Forbes is the largest valued esports team in the world uh, at 400 million USD valuation. Um, uh, team Vitality, who are from France, they're sponsored by Renault. Um, team Fnatic from London, who are one of the oldest organisations. That's F N A T I C. They're sponsored by Gucci. Um, and a bunch of other brands as well Uh, another team called fpx which are based out of china who are sponsored by bmw so there's some examples of of tier one as we would call them traditional esports teams now as a traditional esports team let's imagine uh, manchester united for example sits at the top so the brand manchester united is akin to Fnatic or cloud nine or someone like that and then underneath them instead of manchester united just having a football team They might have a football team. They might have a rugby union team. They might have a squad that plays cricket. They might have three swimmers and also a freestyle diver. Within an eSports team, you might have a Counter-Strike team, which is a group of five people that play the game Counter-Strike. You might have an Overwatch League team and, and even a franchise within that that could be called something slightly different. So you're in the 6v6 Overwatch League. You might have two or three singular Fortnite players. And you might even have some influencers who help represent you sitting underneath. There are a few that have top-tier influencers who stream but purely just representing that brand and are often paid for the exposure they bring towards that team. And then what will happen is exactly the same types of sponsorship so you know a brand say like corsair who i used to work for whose headset i'm wearing at the moment corsair might sponsor this manchester united or this fanatic for example and the same way that let's say nike might sponsor manchester united and that means that their runners um, their swimmers when they're walking out to swim you know their um, tennis team and etc will all be wearing those nike runners and they'll get that access across to all of them because a very important thing to remember like i said before is that you know esports is a category um so there are so many games within that. The same person that likes rugby league or rugby union mightn't like the UFC. They mightn't like tennis, um, and it's very similar with esports. You know, if you're a you know big fan of something like Fortnite, there's likely that you don't enjoy you know one of the greats great games of esports like StarCraft Two. They're extremely different titles. In the same way that you mightn't enjoy tennis and also freestyle diving at the same time.
0: And that and that that esports team is that again structured much like you'd expect a normal team of salaried salaried staff yep. and, and or oh, salaried employees and for one of a yep. better expression and uh, if there's marketing bought in potentially for the that this profits you know split of that revenue within the team
1: mm-hmm. and some and- direct examples for you in that case um, in regards to some money that's happening through there. You know, some CEOs of esports teams are earning up to $600,000 a year at the moment. Um, You're seeing a lot of players, say in the Call of Duty franchise league. So in the Call of Duty league, um, there's somewhere between eight to 12 teams. I would need to double check on that. Um, That's a league that's run by the developer, Blizzard. Uh, sorry, Blizzard Activision, who are the the people that make and market the game and publish the game. They have an installed minimum of $80,000 salaries per year for their players and also Mm. minimum requirements. The players play in home and away games and serieses. So three to four teams will come together and play a home series together. That'd be in an arena,
0: would it?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, in an arena with 600 to 3,000 seats, depending on how popular the teams are, uh, up to you know larger than that um you know they've got a lot of these teams will live in a house together or they'll have their rent covered for them and they'll play in an office so they'll go into the office each day and train the same way that a traditional team will have a home ground you know stadium or something like that if you're a football fan um you know then above them they'll have a full structure you know they'll have a team often they might have a part-time team psychologist and and physiotherapist a lot of these teams have um, mandated or recommended you know exercise regimes some of the teams might have a chef they do in the overwatch league for example which is another franchise league and i'm not sure if i mentioned it before but a franchise spot for this league this call of duty league is around 25 million dollars wow. um, to purchase as a as a sticker price and you know it's it's always a sticker price but that's what's in the media is around 25 million to purchase one of these but you've got and then you know like you were saying as well you've got the full um, you've got the full gambit of people that are in that organisation as well. You've got marketers, community managers, social media. You've got you know a COO. You've got a CFO. You've got uh, maybe an internal and external legal team. You know yeah. management structure. That full that full kit and caboodle.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how much. Yeah, not ju- it's not just yeah a couple of people sat in front of the front of the game, is it? And and funny enough, you know, and then and then again, yeah. it's interesting learning. That's why I lo- Like why I love doing these podcasts, learning about you think about the the, the well being of the gamers is I'm sure important and built in, you know, mental health around the world continues to be a, a strong discussion as it should be a strong discussion point and I'm sure bleeds into into mm. into this arena as well, which again will will create uh work, employment for people as well. Uh, just a, a whole mm. sphere of things going on that you don't realise.
1: Yeah, and that, and that's why I think the numbers are extremely important. And I always try to try to kind of talk you know, onto those as much as possible. You know, a lot of these esports teams are still raising capital and not cash flow positive as it currently stands. You know, I believe off the top of my head, there's maybe two or three, you know, that are properly cash flow positive around the world in that tier one sphere, you know, in the top 10, the top 15. Yeah. But, you know, these influencers, like I was saying, you know, they're. You know, if you were to look at their margin, you know, it's 98%. <laughs> a lot of the time it's, you know, or with the example of my friend, you know, it's pretty much a 100% margin he's making. Um, or, you know, if there's a manager involved, they might be paying 10, 15% to that manager on a portion of their revenue. So net, that might be 10 percent or five or something like that too so you know this is one of the advantages of that and it's it's really hard to get your head around it took a lot of thinking for me but if you if you think about it someone like a laser beam with 270 plus million video views per month him sitting in a bedroom playing on a six thousand dollar pc which is likely given to him for free um you know having a single manager or two managers that work with him has as much reach as an entire media organization so when you first go, damn, it's, you know, a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars to purchase a dedicated video from him, that hundred to two hundred thousand dollars drives you five to ten million views from a hardcore audience who listen to this guy every single day yeah. and watch him and entertained by him. So if you're purchasing that direct thing, you know, let's say that you're in politics. Let's say that you're in big media. Let's say that you're in a large, you know, international um, brands. Let's say Toyota says, man, we're not reaching younger kids. We need to get them inspired to buy Toyota when they grow up. Like you'd be crazy not to someone like a laser beam to to influence, you know, and he's got a younger demographic. And I mean, that's the other advantage as well is that you've got that specific demographic because once again, if you're advertising on TV and there's a traditional show, there's a big brother on or something like that. You know, the 55 year old, um, uh, parents will be watching at the same time as their, you know, 17 year old children. But often this gaming and, and because of, you know, everything's digital, you can track exactly who those demographics are. Yeah. So if you're going to work with say a Minecraft YouTuber who we work with, a lot of them have a younger audience. You know, a lot of them are nine year olds to 15 year olds that are watching that. So if you want to make a toys product or you want to advertise something that's child safe and copper compliant, obviously, um you can do that towards them. Um, yeah. However, if you want to work with someone to reach say 35 year old plus in Australia, we have a specific creator for that. You know, he uh, was on TV for 10 years and a lot of the people doing a, a video gaming show. So a lot of his fans are people that grew up watching this guy for a long period of time, but now they're older, they've got their own kids, but they have proper disposable income. So if yeah. you want to advertise in Australia SUV to be able to fit three to four kids in, I mean, go, go with Joe pants straight away because yeah, you know right. that man was on TV for 12 years. He's got an Australian audience and he kills it for any, you know, Australian things that we work with at high costs. You know, you could sell, um, and we have sold with him, you know, campaigns on complete gaming computers, top of the range because his audience trusts him. Um, he uses them himself, but yeah. also they have that disposable income. So whether you want to target, you know, a nine-year-old for a campaign t- to sell an action figure toy, or you want to target a 35-year-old who's about to have their second kid, you know, you can do both of those through gaming. You just got to pick the right the right game, the right people to work with.
0: I, th- I think there's something, sound a bit corny, but something beautiful about that organic growth and that, uh, uh, and then that ability to, I don't know, in a world where we there's a lot of, well certainly a lot of talk about fake news whether whether it is or not and you you know you don't know what to trust where there's a, where there's a, a a single individual building a you know reputation is everything to them as in mm. isolation so the fault points and the the, the 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 yeah the i guess the fault points in regard to things going out that shouldn't feel very because it's him him or her deciding to do that just f- makes it feel very raw and very uh mm. pure pure maybe uh, if, if you think and about power it this way, of that, power of that to me. You know,
1: yeah, sorry, sorry. And if, and if you think about it this way, anyone can have a brand, right? Because you can buy advertising, you can buy marketing, but by definition, you can't be an influencer without fans. Yeah so you have to already have those fans to become an influencer. You know, not anyone but people as we've seen can raise 30, 40, 50, 100 million dollars on a business that doesn't exist. Then they can create that and then they can try to create their own hardcore audience and fans. But if you're working with an influencer, they've already done that. They've yeah, already got their fans. That's why I
0: feel, feel it feels so so pure because it's been flipped around. Uh, mm,
1: mm. Yeah, exactly, and that's why some influencers um, and ex-pro players take a, a man called Matthew um, or Nade Shot is his gamer name. He started an esports organization because he was a world champion caliber player. He was a large YouTube with over a million subscribers. Um, he was a sponsored Red Bull athlete. You know, one of the first gamers to ever be. I think he was the second, I believe. And then he went and started his own gaming team. And now Drake, probably the most popular rapper in the world, is an investor now scooter Braun, justin bieber's manager is an investor and his gaming team you know i would i would put them as number one or two on my teams to watch 100 thieves besides phase clan you know phase 100 thieves are doing fantastic things and they'll be the first uh, you know in my opinion they'll, they'll potentially be the first billion dollar esports organizations a piece um because of their focus on content and culture and who they're partnering with um you know i, th- I think that they're yeah. going to get there um and you know he comes from those humble beginnings but he had that massive massive start compared to other organizations which started from the bottom because he already had fans and he's already very passionate and yeah, he comes yeah. through that passion comes through in every single piece of content he does you can see that he created his esports org because he was a player and he wants to look after players
0: yeah. and and it he just a couple of questions to, to finish off if that's okay mm-hmm. sure. the uh first of all is around uh within the sports and, and fairness is that Again, I recall seeing a story we, we talked about, or you, t- you talked about Formula One uh, doing an esports race, and I think one of the, someone had switched out for a gamer, so there was an, an element of ch- cheating going on ultimately, and I think he got kicked out of the race. How, mm. how, and I suppose that encompasses the bigger question of challenges within esports. Where do you see them at the moment? So there's, so there's a few different challenges um
1: you know, one one of the challenges is is always just the extra or upgrading the professionalism of esports. You know, that's been something that people have been talking about for a long time. How do you fast track the growth of the industry to get to the point where even tier two people may be able to have sustainable income? And that's not necessarily realistic in the short term because even, you know, large global sports still don't have that. You know, you don't have a tier two in tennis necessarily that people can sustain a proper income. You don't even have a tier 1.5 in MMA. Where people can sustain, uh, you know, a proper income, even though the UFC is, you know, I, I believe it's own claim now the third largest sport in the US. Um, so other people are still tackling that. Um, some of the other issues as well are people. People are still sorting out the profitability. There's a lot of money there to be to be had. Um, there's a lot of revenue to be had. There's a lot of investments. Um, but there 's not a lot of cash flow positive companies purely in eSports, and I think that the people who are going to be the cash flow positive ones now and into the future are those who focus a lot on casual and focus on telling stories they focus on content um, and they focus on influences and merchandise just as much as anything else right. um, because if you 're looking at that phase example I gave you you know if you can do a million dollars' worth of hoodies um, on a Sunday in an hour or two and then you know somewhere around two million or more as, as a whole. That's, that That means you've got a real audience of fans that are wanting to buy things off you. You've got a real audience that you can, um, you know, sell things to. So people like FaZe, for example, focus so much on content and they're almost not even an esports team. They do so much content. They focus on content creators. Um, they've got investment from like a laundry, literal laundry list of rappers. There's like seven or something like that, all Big names that are all invested into them, mm-hmm. um, and that's you know where a lot of that will come from too. Um, and we're going to see more of that expand. You know, so many of these influencers are launching their own brands, their own products, their own esports team. Um, the most subscribed YouTuber in Australia, Lachlan, who plays Fortnite, he's got slightly more subscribers than Laserbeam. He launched his own esports team. You know, their launch video has like 1.3 million views. Uh, mm-hmm. Their first four videos have a million plus views each. You know, and no. they they literally only just existed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we went on the amazing, team, and then amazing, they just...
0: amazing set of eyeballs, isn't it? Amazing numbers.
1: Mm. Yeah, so and they'd already be they already be cash flow positive just based off the CPM of those videos, most likely.
0: The uh, and that 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 sort of t- ties into my last question, where we talk about those challenges. And I guess <laughs> from your perspective, you touched on at the beginning there about your development uh, through your creator, where you are now. Mm-hmm. What is the what, what would you consider your primary sort of focus within the business you're running now? Is it a bit of all of the things you talked about today or, or particular areas and, and helping, mm-hmm. I guess, a lot of those esports through those challenges as well that you just touched on?
1: Yeah, so in the past, it's definitely been all of it, but now we're starting to focus so much more. We're working with a, f- a few groups, um, one in Saudi Arabia, one in Spain and across the US on some new business lines for them. One is an existing traditional big business that wants to get into the space through owning their own business. The other one is a VC-backed company that's looking at um, launching something new, uh, uh, completely different to anything they've done at the past in the space. And we'd like to get hands-on. You know, the reason that the Saudi Arabian company chose us, they said in their own words, is we were the only um, people that said, hey, if we consult for you on this, we actually want to run it for you or with you. As, as it progresses and goes forward, we want to kind of put our, not money where our mouth is, but put our thoughts or our ideas or our consultancy where our mouth is and understanding there's always a place in traditional markets and such else for, you know, a KPMG or a Deloitte to say, yes, this is a good idea, but we want to say, yes, this is a good idea and we back you in and we want to run it with you. We want a JV or, you know, whatever the whatever it ends up being. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot of the focus for us is bringing those new ideas into the space and, you know I can't talk directly about what it is but you know listening back to the talk you know I've kind of put points throughout there most of the time about who I think's winning in the market about you know where some of the gaps lie in that kind of space and what people can do we're also working on some other ways to help creators make make more money in different ways um, you know creators will often have that track mind and rightfully so which is I just got to make content I've got to make it really good and you know that's their job the same way that uh, NFL's quarterback job is to throw the ball and not get hit And, you know, be fast and have a good arm and be accurate. Um, But, you know, there's some gaps there where, you know, like I said, they are their own company almost. So how are they setting themselves up for the future? And this is the same question for esports players and, you know, even sports professionals. It's a big thing that's going through um, the UFC and MMA audiences now where fighters are going, damn, you know, I'm making 50 to, you know, $500,000 per fight, but that doesn't last forever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I need to figure out what I'm doing after this. The same thing with traditional sport, you've got, You've only got a, a, you know, a certain amount of time that you are a content creator before you fall out of favor, before people stop following you or you lose your passion. You've only got a certain amount of time to be a professional gamer. When you get sick of playing eight to nine hours a day, seven days a week, traveling 32 weeks of a year, which a lot of these guys do, you know, there's only so long you can do that for before you have to hang up the mouse and keyboard or hang up the boots if you're a pro football player and your knees start to give out. Um, so people are now starting to think about, okay, what can I do in the future? And a lot of that is launching your own companies. So yeah. we're seeing, say, makeup influencers launching their own makeup brands. Yeah. You know, we're seeing fitness influencers mm. launch their own fitness apps. We're seeing um, you know, other people launch their own media organizations or esports teams or peripheral companies and, and things like that too. So, yeah, yeah just, just focusing on you know, investing money now into the future because it doesn't last forever.
0: No, no, absolutely. And people, people want to get in touch with you, Chris. What's the, obviously, what's the best way to do that on your website?
1: Yeah, so the website is bigesports.gg. Um, GG is a play on a gaming colloquialism. It basically means good game. And it's good just like a handshake. It's a digital handshake. Whenever you finish a game, whether it wasn't good or whether you absolutely <laughs> destroyed them or they destroyed you and you're a little bit annoyed about that, it's still nice to say, it's good manners to say GG or for me um, my online presence is mainly through LinkedIn. I create a lot of content on there do our own podcasts um, do LinkedIn live streams, which I'm going to do right now. Another one uh, with All the right. man in Germany um and uh, share a lot of industry information my kind of philosophy on linkedin that i do there is i try to share information that's interesting to me i try to boil it down so you don't have to read the whole article you can just read three or four dot points from me and then i'll add an in extra information that you won't get even if you were to open the article but obviously i will link the article if people would like to read the full amount of information so that's the value that i try to provide to people on linkedin so my linkedin url is smithy my last name with a Y Mayo Smithy Mayo one word or you can just look me up Chris Smith but you know a white man with the name Chris Smith very common
0: <laughs> yeah so no absolutely. We'll, we'll add some mail uh, links into our into our footnote and I must say so we connected a couple of uh, well maybe three or four weeks ago on on LinkedIn yeah. and yeah I, I mean I'm educating myself in, in esports as well and yeah certainly I'll testify that the the, 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 the bits you post the snaps snapshots really that that wet the appetite and and get you engaged. So so yeah, I'd certainly recommend the follow as well. So yeah, thanks fantastic. for your time. That, that, appreciate the education. I know you also run a podcast as well. Maybe you just shout out your the podcast name as well and people can look
1: up. Yeah, that. no problem. Yes. Yeah, so that's the big esports podcast as well. And you can find that through our website or it's on any of the major streaming platforms.
0: And and again, chatting to a variety of people through 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 the industry.
1: Yep. Yeah. And focusing on the you know the business side of behind of things, what's happening. So, you know, we've talked to a series of players about, you know, why do some esports players not take their social media presence as seriously as you know business people think they should? Um, talking to esports team owners, talking to media organization owners, and tonight, um, that's who I'm talking to live on LinkedIn, and then that'll be repurposed into a podcast. Is he is the CEO and founder of the Esports Observer, which is a business based esports publication, uh, headquartered himself out of Germany, and be talking to him about. Some some of his thoughts on the industry as well and deep diving into you know some interesting topics that are happening in the space
0: yeah okay interesting well like I say much appreciated for your time uh it's been really All fascinating right. and uh hopefully the audience found it of interest
1: yeah happy to share some numbers always
0: <laughs> man uh, thanks for uh, thanks for listening everyone